faithfulness in 2017 and really how being faithful to God and his word can really touch all of those areas of our lives, can impact every area of our life, and really is what has the power to sustain us in this new year. Faithfulness to God and to his word is really what is going to sustain us in this new year. So we are in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 is our text. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 6. And we're going to try to kind of prove the point that faithfulness to God's word sustains us through every aspect of life. And we have here in, in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 6, you have Paul's letter to Timothy. And I know this is sometimes kind of confusing. We just came out of 2 Peter or 1 Peter, and those were letters written by Peter. And then you have 1 and 2 and 3 John, and those are written by John. And then you have all the, the uh, Gospels that are named after the people that wrote those Gospels. But this is 2 Timothy, and it's written by Paul to Timothy. So it's important to kind of uh, keep that in mind as we set the stage here. And, and also, who, who Paul is? Who's writing this? Because a lot of times when people come up and, and they tell you what to do, you kind of want to know who they are. Like you'll have these, these people come up to you that have never even been out on a date before and they want to give you marital advice. Or you have people that have never so much just changed a diaper and they're trying to tell you how to mold your children. And it's kind of annoying because you're like, you've not been there, so who are you to tell me this? Well, this is who Paul is. Paul, so we don't question how legit Paul is as a Christian. He is um, somebody who walks in a power really that you and I are not going to walk in. Uh, he, he cast out demons. He healed people. People tried to touch him and his clothes so that they could be healed because he was so powerful. He writes scripture, for crying out loud. We're reading stuff that God inspired him to write. So he walks in a power that we do not walk in. And we also know this, just by observation, that people like Paul, that are that high level with something that they're doing, they, they generally surround themselves with other people that are pretty high level. Um, I think of coaching. When you think of coaching a football team, uh, you as the head coach surround yourself with people that know what they're doing. You surround yourself with an offensive coordinator that's really all in on football, breathes it and lives it, and a defensive coordinator that knows defense. Like, like Ronnie's phone's not ringing off the hook asking to be an assistant coach somewhere because he's not there on that level with football. And, and if it is ringing off the hook, they should probably listen to some of his sports analogies and they will quickly hang up. But we, so we can gather that Paul, pretty high-level Christian, pretty all-in on the gospel and getting it to a lost and dying world, that Timothy is going to be somebody that's pretty high-level Christian too. He's got his big boy Christian pants on, or however you want to say it, I don't know. Uh, but he met Paul when he was a teenager. When Timothy was a teenager, he met Paul. He's mentioned elsewhere in Scripture by Paul, and he's called Paul's son in the faith. So they have a good relationship. They are both very ferocious about the gospel of Christ, getting it out to the world. So this is who has written this, and this is who it is written to. Uh, and also, these are some of Paul's last words. We know that before Paul is martyred, um, for actually martyred for the, the very thing that he was killing people for in the beginning, how ironic that is, this is some of the last words that he pens before he is martyred. So we are in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. It says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound, doc, sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Um, let's, let's go ahead and pray, and then we will kind of dive into what God has for us here. God, I uh, am so thankful for just the opportunity to stand up here and to proclaim your word. Thankful that we have a, a body of believers that are willing to come out and to gather and listen. We just pray that your word would fall upon us, that the Holy Spirit would move within, within us, God, and do a work that we cannot do. I just pray that you would use the gospel and use your word to, to soften our hearts and to prick our hearts and convict us and give us the courage to act on those convictions today. And We just thank you for everything that you do. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so just to give you a, kind of a quick rundown of what Paul is writing to Timothy, he, he tells Timothy basically to be faithful to God's word in three different ways here. He says to preach the word, be faithful to the preaching of God's word. He says be faithful to disciple other people with God's word. And then he says to walk with God, to personally in your own personal life to walk with God. And here's kind of how that looks. So that's kind of in a nutshell where we are going today. But it starts out in true Paul fashion with this big, dramatic charge that Paul gives Timothy in chapter 1 of verse 4. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. He, he starts out with this big, dramatic, weighty charge. I charge you in the presence of God. I mean, it's more than even just like when people get married and they say, by the presence of you here and, and by the power invested in me by the state of Ohio, I now pronounce you. This is Paul calling in all of eternity. This is Paul saying, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Now, I own a, a small business. I have a, a lawn care and landscaping business, and I've had employees over the years that I've done that. And Sometimes you got to kind of rally the troops and say, okay, we're a little behind today, so we gotta, we got to get it. We gotta, we're going to be putting in a long day. Let's stay focused. I've never gathered them all around and said, listen, guys, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, weedy around that house and mow straight, mow straight lines. I've never done that. And it's because... What comes after that, I mean, if the call, if the, intro, if the intro is so important, what comes next has to be pretty weighty. Now, my, the mowing just isn't, doesn't have that eternal weight. Some of my clients act like that it does have that eternal weight, but it really does not have eternal weight with it. But Paul is about to lay out a charge. He's charging Timothy by the power of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. I mean, this is big. So what comes next has to be big. Uh, we're all familiar with those people that they give this big intro. They're like, listen up, guys. I got this story. Listen up. And you're, you're just hanging on to every word. And then they proceed to tell you the lamest story that's ever been constructed. And it's like, why such a dramatic entrance for that story? But, but Paul gives us this big intro, this grand charge. He charges Timothy in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus 
And so what comes next has to be a, a pretty big deal. It has to be uh, big. And what does he tell him? What does he, what does he say? That, what's the hype all about? Well, we find out in verse 2 it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That's what the hype is all about. That, that's what, what it's all about. I, if I was Timothy, I would just feel like I would be a little bit disappointed. Like, you're going to bring out this dramatic charge, and then you're going to say, preach the word? Aren't you going to give me some sort of power to cast out demons? Uh, maybe I got a guy down in Antioch that I'd really like to curse a little bit. Maybe throw a demon from one guy to another. But no, he says, preach the word. This is the big, grand thing that he wants him to do, is remain faithful to preaching the word. That's what the hype is all about. But really, this is, this is consistent with how Paul has, has said, what, what Paul has said his entire life. If you turn to, well, you don't have to turn. I'm already there, and I'm just going to read it. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 17 this is, this is Paul again speaking. He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And then if you skip down to, to verse 21 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, Paul says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So that's what the hype is all about. Preach the word. And Paul has been saying this forever. Look, the preaching of God's word is what is going to save and sustain those who believe. So remain faithful to the preaching of God's word. But for us today, how, how would that apply to us? Not everybody in here is going to try to preach the word, hopefully. There's a lot of people that should not be preaching the word. But Paul, Paul is still telling Timothy to preach the word. So what do we do with that? Well, Paul or Timothy has to have an audience. There has to be somebody that Timothy is preaching to. So it is also equally important for us, for those of us that are not going to preach the word, to remain faithful to sitting under the preaching of God's word. Just as it is important for Timothy to preach the word, it's important for us to sit under the preaching of God's word. And that really leads us to this question. What is the word? What's the word? I mean, uh, it's easy for us to say, well, the word is the Bible, the whole, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's, it's the Bible. But at this particular time, uh, Paul is still writing some of Scripture. So what we have is our holy canon isn't even complete yet. So it can't be just the Bible. It can't just be as simple as that. So what is the word? And we can find that out easily by using some very uh, popular passages. If you go to John chapter 1, and again, you don't have to turn. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then if you skip down to verse 14, it says, and the Word, which we've just established, is God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word is Jesus Christ. And Paul is telling Timothy to be faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. And again, if you go back to 1 Corinthians, this is the same thing that Paul has always been saying. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 23 says, 
But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. And if you skip down to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So it's faithfully sitting under the preaching of God's word that has the power to sustain us in this new year. Look, we can talk all day, at nauseum, with how-to messages. How to become a better Christian, how to become a better encourager, how to become a better father or a better team member or a better employee. We can do how-to messages until you've just had enough of them. But it is the preaching of the cross of Christ that allows us to be faithful to God, that, that gives us the ability to be faithful to Him. It is, that is what we need to be faithful to, the preaching of the cross of Christ. And if you go back to our text in, in 2 Timothy, it's like, when do we need to be faithful to this? Because sometimes it seems like these messages are necessary, how to do this and how to do that and, and how to be a better husband. And those things are, are good and fine, but when do we need to be faithful to the preaching of the cross of Christ? And it's like Paul knows that we were going to ask that because in verse 2 he says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. So he says to be ready at all times to preach the word. Be ready at all times to sit under the preaching of God's word. This isn't like a sports fan that when your sports team goes out of season, you don't really care about them anymore. Like nobody's wearing Buckeyes gear today because it's out of season now. And how many people are really jazzed up for Christmas? I mean, you got the chain where you take a chain link every day away until eventually it's counting down the days till Christmas. Nobody's got one hung up with like 360 chain links, and they're counting down because Christmas is out of season. There's that one place in Berlin that's everything Christmas, and they're open all the time for Christmas. But nobody's there today because nobody really cares about Christmas right now. It's out of season. So we can debate all day if the gospel is in season or out of season. Is this a time where America is readily accepting the gospel? Or is this a time where the world is really ready for a revival? We can debate that all day, but that doesn't change our responsibility to be faithful to the preaching of the cross. Whether it's in season or out of season, we need to be faithful to the preaching of God's word, to the cross of Christ. So we can see that Paul's charge begins with faithfully allowing the preaching of God's word to bear its weight on us, and, and that no matter what, that we sit under the preaching of the cross of Christ. He says, preach the word. That's what he tells Timothy to be faithful to do, preach the word. And then he, he moves, Paul moves from preaching into discipling. He says uh, to disciple with God's word. He doesn't say that exactly, but he says in verse 2, uh, be ready in season and out of season, reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. There's nothing that takes more faithfulness. I'm sure you could ask any pastor that's worth his salt that there is nothing that takes more faithfulness to somebody than to um, daily just pour into them through discipling them. There's nothing that takes more faithfulness than to walk with somebody to reprove, rebuke, and exhort somebody in discipling them. But Paul says, to be faithful to discipling other, other people. And disciple yourself with God's word. He says to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Those are a little bit old school words that mean, reprove means to instruct. Uh, rebuke means to correct. And exhort means to encourage. A lot of churches and a lot of Christians 
are really good at maybe one or two of those things. Like there's a lot of, of churches that you'll go to and you'll find a lot of Christians that uh, they're, they're really good at correcting and they're really good at instructing. Like if you're doing something wrong, they want to tell you and then they want to instruct you on how to do it the right way. But they really stink at encouraging. They don't do a lot of encouraging at all. And then there's a lot of places and a lot of churches, a lot of people that are super good at encouraging. I mean, they will encourage you until you are sick and you need a little bit of discouragement just to kind of outweigh because you know you're not that great. So stop encouraging me that much. So they'll encourage you, but as far as calling you out and, and maybe trying to correct you and instructing you in something else, they're really not any good at that. But faithfulness to God's word is, is rebuking, re- reproving, and rebuking. It's encouraging, instructing, and correcting. Doing all of those things is what makes us faithful to God's word. So he says to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And then he says to do it with complete patience and teaching. There's nothing real exciting about discipleship, about walking alongside of somebody and slowly letting God chip away at you, at your pride and your arrogance, at your unforgiveness and your bitterness. There's nothing real flashy about that. But what it is, is it's faithful. It it is God's faithfulness to us, and it is our way to show our faithfulness to God by allowing him to to use his word to chip away at some of the things in our lives. So nothing real flashy about having complete patience in teaching. It's like uh, parenting. Like in parenting, you really want that silver bullet that just you just lay it out there and all of a sudden your kids just look like the Duggars and everybody's just in line and it looks amazing and everybody's happy. But it's really what it is, is faithfulness over a long, long period of time and maybe maybe that it works out. And that's kind of, discipleship is walking with somebody, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting with complete patience and teaching. And, and Jesus is such a model of this for us. How many times did Jesus have a disciple that just was not getting it? And with complete patience and teaching, he walks alongside of them. He corrects them. He encourages them. He instructs them and in some other way because what they think is wrong. I mean, how many times did they say, Let, let's get there, let's get there, Jesus, we're going to crown you king. And he's like, no, when we get there, they're going to kill me. And he's like, they're like, no, let's, let's get you there, we got to get you there, okay. But when we get there, they're going to kill me. And they just didn't get it. And over and over again, Jesus, with patience and teaching, had to walk alongside of them faithfully. And that's what Paul has called Timothy to do. He has called him to be faithful. He has called him to faithfully preach God's word, to be faithful in the preaching of God's word, to uh, do it when it's in season and when it's out of season. And then he also calls them to faithfully disciple, to, to uh, walk with somebody in God's word, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And he's trying to prove to him that faithfulness to this, faithfulness to God's word, faithfulness to God is the only thing that's really going to sustain and that also begs this question, why, why even take the time uh, to disciple somebody? Why would you really even need to take the time to disciple someone? A lot of churches don't even really do that. They get them in the doors, they get them down the aisle, they, they make this confession, and they really don't spend any time discipling. 
Why is it so important for us to disciple? Why is it, why is it so important that in some of Paul's final words, he would mention to try to disciple somebody? Well, it's because verses 3 and 4 exist. Verse 3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound, te- sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The reason that it's so important for us to disciple, to have somebody to disciple us, to walk faithfully in God's word and allow it to disciple us, is because a relaxed, unfaithful approach to God's word leads to verses 3 and 4, leads to people drifting away off into things that aren't even really true. So it's important for us to be discipled. It's important for us to disciple. Paul tells Timothy, preach the word faithfully. And he says, walk alongside somebody, disciple them. And then uh, he he says in verse 5, he starts verse 5 out like this, as for you, and that's always kind of convicting. Um, I always hated when mom said, as for you, when she said that to me. Like, you're fighting with your brother, and you're really sure that it's his fault. Like, you're both maybe a bloody mess or whatever, and you know it's him that's in the wrong. And mom comes in and starts laying into your brother, and you're just sitting there like, eh, I told you. I mean, I tried to tell you, and this is why I've been rebuking you. This is why, you know, I've strayed from the exhortation, and I've just been rebuking you. This is what you need to do. And then after mom gets done laying in to brother, she turns and says, as for you, young man. And it's always like, that's so, like, oh, no. And that's kind of God's, that's what God's word does to us, too. It's easy for us to sit in a pew and be like, I I tried to tell him. I tried to tell him that he needs to be faithful. I tried to tell him that he needs to get right. He ain't listening. And then the Holy Spirit kind of knocks on our heart's door and pricks our heart's door and says, as for you. So that's that's what happens here. Paul um, says, preach the word faithfully. He says, disciple using God's word. And then he, he turns it pretty personal to Paul or to Timothy and says, as for you. And, and he starts this off with uh, verse, number, verse number five. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He gives us a nice little list here. Uh, for those of us that just love lists, uh, my wife likes to make out lists. Like she'll put the tiniest things on there, like drink water, and then it feels really good to check them off. So for us that like those lists, Uh, here's a beautiful list of what he he tells us to do to walk with God. So he says, preach the word. He says, disciples other, disciple people using the word. And then he says, walk with God. And and here's this this nice little list. The first thing he says is to always be sober-minded. First, notice the faithfulness that it takes to always be sober-minded. I mean, he's not saying occasionally or when you're around the lost, or, you know, sometimes you might want to consider being sober-minded. No, always be sober-minded. And sober-mindedness, Ronnie touched on this a couple weeks ago, I know. It is to, uh, R.C. Sproul says, it is to treat the truth seriously and have a healthy doubt as to our own understanding of truth. So to be sober-minded is to be serious about the truth. Not just flaunting every new idea that you have that springs into your head as that's the new absolute truth. 
watch out, I've got this new thing, this is absolutely the truth. No, you don't allow your mind to become drunk with just every new idea that you have and you spew it out on everybody else, but it's to handle the truth with some care. That's what being sober-minded is. It's really knowing that God's Word is our source of truth. That's really being sober-minded. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. So faithfulness to God's Word actually sanctifies us, actually draws us nearer to Him. So in our walk with God, uh, Paul tells Timothy to be sober-minded, faithfully always having yourself under control, being sober-minded. And then the second thing he says to him is endure suffering. Um, I don't know if you remember, like I was a, a little child obsessed with sports in the, 80, in the 80s. I was born in 84, so I was like five and really getting coming into my own, you know, athletically, not really. Uh, but Bo Jackson was kind of a big deal in the 80s and 90s. And I don't remember a whole lot from Bo Jackson, but what I do remember is that the little slogan that Bo knows. Bo knows like everything. Bo knows football. Bo knows baseball. Bo knows everything. Well, Paul knows suffering. I mean, we, he says endure suffering. He knows suffering. We have the laundry list of things that Paul has went through, that Paul has suffered. He, it's shipwrecked. It's, he's been backlash. He's been imprisoned. He's been wronged. He's been suffering for a long time. So he knows suffering. And it's interesting that as Paul has been acquainted so much with suffering that he says, endure suffering. He doesn't say run from suffering. He doesn't say avoid it or try to pretend like suffering doesn't really exist. No, he says, he says to endure suffering. And again, this is consistent with what Paul has always said. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5 say this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So Paul, how can he endure all that suffering? Because he has allowed the truths of God to sustain him. He has allowed the faithfulness of God to sustain him through those sufferings to the point where he says that he can actually rejoice in suffering. So, so he tells Timothy, walk with God. He says uh, to endure suffering, always be sober-minded. And then he says to do the work of an evangelist. Now everybody always gets a little bit uncomfortable when you talk about evangelizing, when you talk about actually opening your mouth and talking about Christ. But um, don't think of doing the work of an evangelist as like the TV evangelist guy with the, a bunch of rings and, and the, the gold chains. And if you send in a donation of like 23 bucks, he'll send you like a prayer carpet and you'll probably get two prayers granted or something along those lines. Don't think of that evangelist. And don't think of the evangelist that like schedules revival when your heart will be revived and pops into town with the same four sermons, lays them on you. You're supposed to be revived and then leaves out of town. And then that's all, you never hear from him again. Don't think evangelists like that. When I think of doing the work of an evangelist, um, I, give me some time, I'll get there. I think of my firstborn son, um, Cy. When Cy was firstborn, and he did really nothing. He, he laid on his back, um, he messed his diaper, he ate, and he cried. And then there was like three minutes out of the day where if you were carrying him in a certain position, he would be calm. And it was 
It was just euphoric. It was awesome. But for some reason, unbeknownst to me, I had to talk about it. I had to tell somebody about him. So I would go to work and I would talk to my dad about Cy. You should see him. Um, he's not really doing anything, but you should see him. I mean, he's just laying there. He, he really did a number on his diaper today. It was exciting. I mean, you should see Cy. And I just was, I was overcome by him so much that I had to talk about him. That's what I think of when I think of evangelism. I mean, let God's word invade you so much. Be so faithful to it. Be so um, encumbered by God's word. Allow what God has done for you on the cross to invade your life so much that it overflows into conversation. And before you know it, you're evangelizing. You're talking about Jesus Christ. There is no formula. There is no uh, way, we, we should not be going out out of pure guilt and be like, man, I, I have to evangelize. I have to find somebody to tell about Jesus. So we're trying to coerce these people into these terrible, awkward conversations. No, become so overwhelmed by the love of God that it overflows into your conversation. Allow it to saturate your life. And the only way to do that is to be faithful to his word. You're not going to magically wake up tomorrow because you resolved to tell somebody about Christ and have this feeling that you want to tell the world about Christ. You're going to do that because you've saturated yourself with God's word. It's interesting that the first commandment that God gives us, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. It's not go do something or go do this or to go. No, it's to love God and to love him so much that it overflows into your conversation and eventually you're just doing the work of evangelist, naturally evangelizing people, telling people about Christ. And the last thing that he tells uh, Timothy to do in his walk for Christ is he says to fulfill your ministry. And this is really just a sums up everything else. To do it well. To do your ministry and to do it well. This applies to us in a, in a number of ways. If you're in the sound, if you're in the cafe, if you're, if you're leading some sort of ministry, if you're doing anything to do it well, fulfill your ministry. Give it every bit of talent that God gave you to do that ministry and fulfill that ministry. Those are the things that he tells Timothy to do in his walk with God. So Paul calls Timothy to be faithful to God's word by preaching it. By preaching it when it's in season, by preaching it when it's out of season. He calls him to be faithful to God by discipling others with God's word. By patiently teaching people God's word. And then he tells him to be faithful in his own walk with God by being sober-minded, by enduring suffering, by evangelizing and by fulfilling his ministry. And then Paul closes out this charge with verse 6. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. That's really a bleak and dark close to a charge. I mean, couldn't we have something a little bit more cheery than that? But he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. That sounds terrible. And the time of my departure has come. So here's Paul understanding that he's going to die for the very things that he's telling Timothy to do. And he still tells Timothy to remain faithful to these things. 
He doesn't say, look, Timothy, I'm going to be killed because I preached the word, because I discipled others with the word, because I walked with God. I'm going to be killed for that. So what I would recommend is to get as far away from that as you possibly can. No, he says, I'm getting ready to be killed, and what I would do is this exact thing. The exact thing that I did with my life is what I would do with your life. I would be faithful to God and to his word. How can he say this? How can a man that's about to die say, do the exact thing that I do, and it's probably going to get you killed? How can he do that? He can do that because being faithful to God's word, to, because hearing it preached, because discipling other people with it, because drawing close to God through its truths is what sustained Paul through all of this. That is what actually sustained him to the very end of his life. And that is what is going to sustain us in 2017. It's not going to be a diet. Diets are great. It's not going to be exercising. All of that in the end may get you uh, a little bit, you know, maybe get you back into that size 32. It may get you back into the medium instead of the Marge, if you're in that land in between the medium and large, it may get you back into those clothes. But in the end, it's faithfulness to God and to his word that is going to sustain us. And that brings up one last question. How can we even be faithful? How can we be faithful? And it is this. It is only through the work of Christ on the cross that we even have the ability to be faithful in the first place. We can't sum up enough energy on our own. We don't have the strength within us to be faithful to God on our own. We can't just resolve outside of God to be faithful to him. It is only through the, what he has done on the cross. It is only through him initiating, his, his initiating faith that we have the power to be faithful to him. So I would ask you, what are you relying on to initiate that faithfulness to God? Are you relying on something that lies within yourself? Are you relying on what Christ has already done on the cross? If it's anything other than what Christ has done on the cross, I would encourage you to go see, some, go see somebody that you trust. Ask them questions about how you can know that you have the love of God with you, that you are known by God. How can you know for sure that you can be saved? It's only through the initiating faithfulness that God, God's faithfulness to us that you can be saved. It's only through the cross of Christ that you have the ability to be saved. You cannot muster this up on your own. You don't have enough strength in yourself to be faithful. It's only through what Christ has done on the cross. And if you uh, are there, pray. Pray for wisdom. Pray that God would reveal himself to you. Pray that he would open your eyes uh, to his, his truths and, and find somebody and ask questions. And, and they would love to faithfully show you from God's word how you can be saved today. If you haven't done that, I would encourage you to do so. Um, let's pray and uh, we will have Scott come up. God, I, uh, I'm so thankful that you are faithful to us, that it's your faithfulness to us that even allows us to be faithful, to, allows us to be faithful to you. I just uh, praise and honor and glorify your name for, for saving my soul, for, for putting together this body of believers uh, and allowing us to be faithful to you. I pray that you would give us strength in this new year to be faithful uh, to you and to your word, that we would allow the truths of it to saturate our mind and that through that we would... Uh, draw near to you, that we would disciple others, that we would sit under the preaching of your word. We love you and we thank you so much for everything that you do for us. We praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.